0: Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act and top business headline news, it's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. Joining me today is Jonathan Greenblatt, President of the Anti Defamation League, an organization established in 1913, found to do, quote, stop the defamation of the Jewish people. ADL is now the nation's premier civil rights and human relations agency, fighting all forms of bigotry and defending democratic ideals. ADL currently has a study set for publication this week that details the targeting of over 800 journalists who've reported on Republican nominee Donald Trump and as a direct result have been the recipients of hate speech and threats over social media. As this current divisive campaign enters its final three weeks, it's timely to welcome Jonathan Greenblatt to our weekly podcast. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Good afternoon. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, let's, let's get right to the, the situation of the moment, which you've been uh, writing and talking about aggressively. And let me quote from something you wrote uh, just a day or so ago. Whether intentional or not, Trump, referring to the candidate, of course, channeled age-old anti-Semitic tropes when he invoked a conspiracy, quote, controlled by a small handful of global special interests, unquote or when he accused Secretary Clinton of collaborating with a, quote, international banks that plot to destroy U.S. sovereignty to enrich their donors, close quote. And then you said, do others hear a dog whistle? It was a very strong piece, and obviously you're concerned about the implications of what Republican candidate Trump said last week. Elaborate on how important an issue you see this as. Well, look, as you said, the ADL has been at this work of fighting anti-Semitism,
1: and um, working to pursue civil rights for over a hundred years. But we've been particularly concerned by the rise of rhetoric in this campaign. What we've seen is not only uh, a kind of anti-Semitism find its way from the dark corners of the internet or the chat rooms of white supremacists and somehow land in the mainstream, but we've seen all forms of bigotry propagated on this campaign. and It concerns us because at the end of the day, we all live here together. And there is a great deal of work to be done to maintain the social norms. And so these questions about the legitimacy of our electoral process, these questions about the design of our democracy, they're a threat to everyone.
0: Elaborate a little, if you will, for those who may not understand the historic implications of the quotes you cite about Mm -hmm. what international banks and reference to media executives and other things, Mm -hmm. how that's read and how you read that.
1: Well, so because we're so focused on fighting anti-Semitism, our antenna is particularly attuned to it. And some of the language that we used in this particular speech, which showed up, uh, that the candidate gave last week in Palm Beach, was very problematic. It invoked uh, images and literally used language that was drawn, or seemed to be drawn, and at least parallel, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a notorious forgery written in Tsarist Russia at the turn of the century. That accused international jewelry, as I think was the term they used, of manipulating the banks, of manipulating the media, and a, literally of a global conspiracy designed to challenge the sovereignty of governments to, you know, um, to um, enrich Jewish financial interests. And so, it is fair to say that whether or not the candidate intended to use such language and to call into question such images, many people beyond the ADL heard it and were troubled by it.
0: Um, it is outside the historic scope of the work of the ADL to endorse candidates, and you're not endorsing one now. But it's been a century of ADL work, and I doubt that You've been particularly critical of presidential candidates in your past. Is this well, a, a, good question, a, a, a so new a and unfortunate? So number
1: one, we are a 501c3, right. and as such, we don't support or endorse candidates or parties. But this is about prejudice, not politics. right? We're concerned about the ideas, not the individuals. And we have been involved in the past, so I will share that in the year 2000, ADL spoke out during the uh, campaign when... Senator Joe Lieberman invoked his religion, and he obviously was a very prominent American Jew, but invoked his religion with such regularity that uh, ADL called out some concern about mixing church and state. And we did speak out in 1992 when Pat Buchanan was running in the Republican primary, and as Pat Buchanan is wont to do, uh, made some very bigoted comments, pretty anti-Semitic comments in that case. But you have to go back to the 1960s when George Wallace ran for president on an explicitly segregationist ticket to find ADL getting as involved as we are today in terms of speaking out against the, the, the unambiguous prejudice that was pushed around during that campaign. And if I showed you the pamphlets that we still have in our office that were written Literally, 50 years ago, the parallels are eerily similar.
0: Um, You yourself are a former um, uh, official in the Obama administration, and you walk a fine line, I'm certain, uh, in an organization that has significant numbers of both Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. How have your membership responded to your engaging in this issue?
1: Well, look, I mean, I'll be candid. ADL's membership, if you will, our supporters include Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, independents, people of all ideological and political stripes. Um, But I will tell you that there is no doubt that these issues are ADL issues. When, you know, look, 50 years ago, people were hiding behind white sheets. Today, they're hiding behind their keyboards and their smartphones, but invoking this kind of bias and attacking people because of their how they pray, let alone where they're from or who they love, I mean, this is core to our work at ADL and has been for over a 100 years.
0: And have you gotten mixed feedback, or what kind of feedback from your supporters around this issue? People have been very supportive because
1: they, they share the concern. And there's a desire to ensure, again, that we don't insert ourselves into a political process, we certainly don't want to do that. But I think I would say that universally, ADL supporters feel it's incumbent for us to be speaking out when candidates are invoking anti-Semitic stereotypes, when they're spreading this kind of bigotry. This is, this is what ADL was designed to do, to speak up on behalf of Jews and all Americans.
0: Similarly unusual, the issue I referenced in, the, in our open was about uh, prejudice against journalists, and how that's manifest itself in social media and your work in that regard. That's a rather new issue too, at least in my experience and my knowledge of journalists, that journalists and many of these are in print would be cited perhaps because they acknowledge their Judaism in the public sphere, but because of their last names and the perception that they're Jewish, that, that would be that they would be targeted is highly frightening and striking in the culture we live in. How did you come yeah. upon that issue?
1: Well, let me, uh, I'll share a quick story. So in late May, I had a conversation with a number of journalists. There was a series of incidents where they were harassed um, and attacked on Twitter in particular. And uh, I heard from some journalists who said that they were thinking of of, um, leaving the profession because they'd been victimized and been targeted with such threats. And I had others who said to me that they were self-censoring reconsidering writing certain stories because of concern about the fact that they would be attacked for doing so online that led us to create a task force looking at the online harassment of journalists and we're releasing that report tomorrow and what i can tell you is we have unfortunately confirmed our worst fears that individuals are using twitter in an intentional and a coordinated way to attack and undermine Jewish journalists in particular, but by trying to silence these people, by trying to muffle their voices, it's not only a threat to Jews, although the use of anti-Semitic imagery and language is unambiguously awful, but rather, Merrill, it's a threat to our free press. When so much of the public conversation has shifted onto social media, when so many Americans rely on it for their news and all the information they consume, The idea that a small group of white supremacists and racists could manipulate it and exploit it to marginalize and to muzzle individuals from expressing themselves, using threats to do that and intimidation to do that, that's a real problem, not just for Jews, for all of us.
0: Any historic precedent on that topic?
1: We don't really have one. I mean, I think you could probably go back to the 30s and evoke some. But we we're in a moment today where social media has spread, and it's a brand new phenomenon. The world is more connected than ever before. Now we get, you know, most Americans get their news today from their Facebook feeds. They, they, they learn about what's happening not through CNN or through MSNBC or through the print press, but rather through, through Twitter on their smartphones. And so we've never the world has never been so connected, which is what makes this virus of anti-Semitism so frightening. I mean, just to be clear, these are unambiguous and unapologetic racists and anti-Semites. And so while it may start by attacking Jewish journalists, again, then you've got Mexicans and Muslims and immigrants and women who find themselves, you know, exposed and attacked in the same way. So the implications of allowing this virus to spread, this infection to take hold, could literally cripple the entire body.
0: Without going into too much detail, why do you think in your studying this issue and ADL studying this issue, why in 2016 are there reasons beyond the dialogue in the presidential campaign that are encouraging this? Um, well, look, I think it's fair
1: to say that two things have happened that I think are meaningful. So number one, there is a great deal of economic dislocation. People feel like, you know, we could, we've we seen the numbers about job growth, employment and underemployment, declining wage rates, you know, a lack of productivity. And so there's a lot of people out there, particularly in middle America, who feel alienated from this information revolution, who feel alienated from, uh, you know, where the growth is globalization and growth is happening. And so they're scared, and they're nervous, and they're looking for answers, and the system, as it were, doesn't seem to be delivering those answers. That makes them vulnerable to be exploited by those who would push prejudice. I think that's the first thing. And then I think a second thing is, as, again, social media has taken hold, and we're now living on a planet where there are literally more people on Facebook than in any single country on Earth, that level of connectivity has created a velocity and a volume of information flows we've never seen in the history of humanity and although that's exciting in so many ways, and there's so many constructive uses of it, it also can, again, be vulnerable to being manipulated.
0: And you've decided this issue is a high enough priority that you've gone out and uh, hired a person with a technology industry background in Silicon Valley to help you sort through it. What, yeah. what I are mean, the look, tactics? I've spent most of
1: my professional life building businesses in California and creating companies and, and, and selling those businesses. And so I know from firsthand experience that, the, that ground zero for innovation in America and around the world is Silicon Valley. So the way that we're going to beat this problem is not just by talking about it, but by getting involved. ADL already works with a number of companies in the Valley to deal with hate. But we're going to drive innovation and use impact to make a really transformational effect on this issue.
0: Uh, that's, uh, that's no doubt a great challenge and an important one. When you showed up at ADL, I guess you're in your second year. That mm, uh, just, just passed the year mark. So right, yeah, this would year. be your second year. Um, congratulations. Um, I doubt that you expected to be talking to people like me about this particular issue a year ago. How have your priorities as the chief executive of ADL evolved as the marketplace for hate, if you will, has changed?
1: Well, I'm certainly very focused as the new CEO at ADL. I had the good fortune to succeed my predecessor, Abe Foxman, who was here for 20 years. He ran the organization for 27 years. He was employed here for 50 full years. There's a great deal of work to do to help transform ADL and take it fully into this kind of 21st century, Um, using uh, innovation, exploring new earned income models, uh, scaling our work. I mean, ADL does three things, Merrill. Number one, we do advocacy. We try to change laws through the courts and through Congress. Number two, we do education. We touch over a million and a half kids a year through anti-bias and anti-bullying education programs in schools. And number three, we work with law enforcement to investigate hate crimes, to understand extremism, and to train them. We train about 15,000 law enforcement officers a year on these issues. Our course is mandatory for FBI recruits, and we touch state and local and federal law enforcement all the time. So... My goal here at ADL is how do I make sure the impact we had in the first 100 years, marching with Dr. King, pushing civil rights, allowing Jews to participate more fully in society, that that continues into the second century? My guess is is that innovation and technology will be a big part of that.
0: Good luck with that mission, Jonathan. It's great having you, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Meryl. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Meryl Brown. Thanks for listening.